Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Nothing says Happy Valentine's Day like killing a giant. That's your cue to open to 1 Samuel 17. Um, uh, Denise is in Haiti right now, and so we want to lift her up in prayer. Um, and there's others there with her, not from Genesis, uh, but other people there. So she's traveling with a group. Um, but let's pray for her and tonight as we move forward. Father, we are once again mindful of how you do such significant things through people. How you leave your legacy in the lives of mankind. And Father, we pray that we would be a part of that legacy that you were leaving. Lord, we lift up Denise to you and ask your hand be upon her. We pray that you would keep her healthy. We pray you keep her safe. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue using her to do a work in that country that has such great need. And Father, we also pray that what we are doing can be of help to the few that we are able to reach there as well. Bless our time here tonight. We thank you again for your giving us, Lord, these things written so that we can take them and apply them to our lives and be better because of it. Lord, thank you for breathing into these scriptures. Breathe into us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, one of the more familiar stories in Scripture. And what I hope to do in part tonight as we tackle this chapter is to steal it back from the veggie tales and the the children's stories. This really isn't a children's story, if you think about it. There's a lot of pretty gruesome things that take place in this uh, story, including walking around with a person's head, uh, you know, different places. But it's a story that is powerful in not only declaring what faith in God can do, but this is the beginning of David's leadership. And so as we look at that, that's going to be one of the things that I want to focus on here tonight is what leadership looks like and how it shows up here in this chapter. So chapter 17, let's start at verse 1. A good place to start. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Eli and drew up on the battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was about six cubits and a span, which is nine and a half feet around there. He had a bronze helmet in his head, on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And that's about 125 pounds or so. So pretty hefty thing. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin 
was slung on his back. This is just the coolest picture right now. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels, which would be 15 to 20 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Here is a, an amazing picture. This monster of a man, this freak of nature, comes down here. And as he comes down here, you know, a lot of people want to speculate, well, why is he a giant and Gath and find the lineage back to this and try and connect it to the Nephilim? I don't believe that that's there. I believe that the Nephilim talked about in Genesis is actually not referring to giants as supernatural beings, but referring more to tyrants and those who were giants in that manner there at that time. It's not mentioned as far as stature back in those times. That's a whole different conversation than what we have here. But one of the things that we want to look at right here is the response to a challenge. What do we do when we're confronted with a monster? a Goliath, a trial, something that is looming large in front of us. What is our reaction? We see that Saul and the men of Israel were terrified. And they did nothing. And the problem is when you ignore a problem, what you're doing is you're actually relinquishing your ability to lead. And what you are doing is you're communicating a lack of confidence in God and that God can overcome the obstacles and that those things that are paralyzing the people, you are actually fueling those things. And so we see this situation in this scenario where it's the king, Saul, and we know Saul is, is dealing with some issues here in his own life, but he is there to be the leader of this people. He does nothing, and we see that the problem just kind of festers, and everyone becomes terrified. And Saul is now showing that he doesn't have what it takes to lead and he is surrendering his ability to lead to this insecurity. And he's communicating, whether he says it or not, a lack of faith and confidence in God. We do the same thing when things arise up in our life and we become paralyzed and are frightened and terrified and become useless. We are 
proclaiming something. We are preaching, if you would, something. We're preaching a lack of confidence in God when trials come up. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be uh, moved emotionally. It doesn't mean you won't cry. But what is bigger? Your Goliath or your God? Who are you trusting to see you through the situation? Your ability or your God's ability to get you through? Because that's where the battle is. You see, people need to see the truth of God burning in our hearts if they're going to believe what it is we say and preach. And if we want someone to be a follower of Christ, even as we're a follower of Christ, then they need to see that the truth of God owns us, not just on Sundays, but every day of our life, especially when the hard times come, especially when the temptation comes, especially when the trial comes, that's when we have the opportunity to lead. How could anyone believe that God was alive and with the nation of Israel if no one was willing to live like that was true? How could they expect others to see, oh yeah, this nation serves a living God as opposed to these pagans whose God is inactive and doesn't do anything. When they see this picture and they see them doing nothing when confronted by something. When being taunted by this Philistine. And the same thing is true with us. We need to recognize that these things are important. And we need to understand that leadership can't exist if problems don't exist. That's when people lead, is when there's problems. That's when the Churchills rise up. See, he was obscure until they needed someone. And then, get Winston. He can help us through this. And so that's what we see taking place here. The problem comes up, but now no one is leading. And that's when leaders are born, is in problems. Again, confronts us. What do we do when we're confronted with a problem? Are we someone who is leading, or do we fold? Do we cave? Is our faith then shattered and fragile because our God is this big and our problem is this big. Goliath's nine feet, nine inches tall. I'm five foot six if I'm standing up straight. And, And so this is when there is the opportunity for leadership. I was talking one of my clients in training. We were working with his dog. He had a cute little Rottweiler puppy. And was working with the dog and teaching the dog to go down and having to correct it and getting it to go down. And and I told him, because he was like, you know, I want the dog to do this right away. And I said, don't get frustrated. This is the training. This is teaching right now. 
The dog isn't going to do this until it goes through the process. And if you try and shortcut the process, you won't get to the end result that you want. You have to deal with the process, work through the process, because what that's doing is teaching your dog what it is you want. And if you get frustrated and you get overzealous, you're going to stop being clear in the dog's mind. He won't be able to understand what you want because you're out of control. And when we're going through the process, that's the learning, that's the the teaching, that's what James talks about when he says, count it nothing but joy when you fall into different kinds of trials and testing because the testing of your faith is producing perseverance. Well, how can I get perseverance? You gotta go through it. And the same thing in the area of now of leadership, in all these areas of our life, if you try and just push through it or get away from it without having to go through it, you end up not developing as you should. And this is hard. These are the hard things that we like to skirt around and get away, but this is where the the battle is won. See, the battle with Goliath is won before he marched out, before David. And you all know the story. Uh, There's no spoiler alert here. We all know what's going to happen. But what we're seeing here is really a changing of the guard. As the book goes on later, we're going to start seeing this jealousy arising in Saul and this enamor for David. Why? Because of what happens and because of who David is. Let's continue reading verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Think of that, 40 days. That's a long time to just be hanging out. What do you think's happening inside all these people. What do you think's happening with all those who see this giant come out and taunt them, say, come on, give us your best shot, and then no one shows up, no one steps up. I mean, they didn't even forget the challenge. Let's just go attack them. Maybe 10 of us can kill the guy and move forward. There was just no leadership, because I, I probably wouldn't have done what David did. I probably said, come on, guys, let's mount something. Let's go out there. But anyway, no one's doing anything for 40 days. That's a long time for this taunting to go on. Verse 17, Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out 
to its battle positions. They weren't going to battle. They're just going to their positions. They're just going to that place where they've been going for the last 40 days. Shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. There's some incentive for you. No taxes. So David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is where the story really starts to turn and we start to see it become a war. David's declaration, again, this is not a children's story. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is army talk here. These are these guys coming out, and he's like, what's going on here? And he's curious. And I picture as the battle lines are being drawn, David, a young man, comes running up in the excitement, going to see what's going on. He hears this, and he's just caught up in the moment. This is his first time experiencing this. The people already have been there for 40 days, not David. This is his first time hearing of this. They replied in verse 27 to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliah, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Wow. And David's response, what have I done? <laughs> I love this. Is, if you have children, especially sibling brothers, um, these, this isn't an uncommon situation. This is where you start seeing these things. It might happen with sibling sisters as well. I don't know. But I can tell you it does happen with boys. Why do you think his older brother responds to him in this way? Looked at him as being his little brother. Yeah. What's that? Made him look bad. Yeah. It's kind of, who do you think you are coming up here and trying to be all conceited, he says. Any other thoughts? What happened when Samuel went to his home? Remember? Yeah. Nope, you're not the one. You're not the one. Is there anyone else? Oh, yeah, there's David. David, they anointed him with oil. They weren't sure all that it meant. But his brother saw the prophet Samuel come and anoint David. And so there could be this jealousy going on here. Who are you? Why do you think you're so goody two-shoes? Just because the prophet comes and anoints you with oil, you think you're special? Well, yeah. The prophet came and anointed me with oil. That's special. And so there's this friction there, and it's amazing how difficult people 
what a difficult time people have celebrating others. When someone is doing well, do you celebrate them? Recently heard a, a definition of humility that I thought was very good is if you see anyone, if you can think of anyone who is of less value than you, or if you see anyone who is not as important as you, then that shows where your humility needs work. If you see anyone and think yourself more than them in some way, then you need humility. I thought, ooh, that one was pretty good. At least that one gave me a little zing. You know, like, oh, there's a few people I, 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 I need to repent of this. And so his brother couldn't see and celebrate what was going on in David's life. And many times that's a problem with us, that pride of actually wanting the good and trying to encourage the good of someone. It's going to be Saul's downfall. Later on, we'll see. So David responds, what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Sounds so much like one of my kids. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. Forget you. I'll go talk to this person. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was reading something. I'm sorry. Um, so David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. So he wins Saul over. This speech is so inspiring. And David says, I've dealt with these things. I've, I've gone through training. I've gone through the battle. I, I've been in this process. I've gone through my own battling. And it's been with the lion and the bear. I can take care of myself. You know, the first sight of him was that of a young boy, you can't do the job. You're not old enough, you don't have the experience, you don't have what it takes, kid. I think of Saul's words to Timothy, let no one despise you because you're young. So many things are, are done and so much is entrusted into the hands of young people. The birth of Jesus, Mary, was but a teenager. 
when the angel came to her and said that she was blessed and going to conceive from the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be aware of the potential that is there and see, even as we read earlier, as God sees and not as men see. Men base it on the outward stature, but God looks at the heart. And and David comes out, and as he starts talking about these things, he gives his credentials, his ability, and Saul says, okay, then go. And what we see is that what's inside David actually starts preaching to the others, and it starts with Saul, who was supposed to be leading. And what we're seeing here is that while everyone else saw the stature of Goliath, David saw a different perspective. And that's what leaders do. Leaders see what other people don't see. They are willing to step where other people don't step. That's why they're leading. And so when everyone else was afraid and terrified, David saw something different and believed something different. And you see, David was an example of leadership, not just by what he did, but by who he was, what he believed in, by his faith in God, which led to the things that he did. See, his actions were motivated by his beliefs. His beliefs were strong and real enough that they resulted in taking the action. And that's what leadership does. And so if your heart is holy God's and your life is living with an awareness of his hand on your life, that he is working all things together for the good, that whatever comes your way, you don't have to fear that you can trust him through all those things. And if all those things are taking place in your life, guess what? Other people are going to see what you believe and what you do, and they are going to be inspired to do the same thing because of who you are. Not what you say. And this is where hypocrisy acting goes out the window is when the Goliath comes. Because when there's the Goliath, you can say what you want. Let's see you do something. If, if you really believe in God, go. I believe God's going to work mightily here. He's going to do a powerful thing. Okay, we're watching. He's going to do something amazing. We're going to wait another 40 days and see what he does. We're, we're going to keep, keep waiting for God to do. And David had something else. He was of a different sort. And he won Saul over. This young boy comes into the king and says, hey, I'm going to do this. Now, some of the things that are brought up here is, didn't Saul already know David? It could be time has passed since David was in there playing the heart before the king, and so he didn't recognize him. It could be Saul's state of mind that wasn't stable, and so he didn't really recognize him at this point as he would later on. He was just one of the, the servants, you know. What's that servant kid who plays the harp? Oh, yeah, David. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he wasn't an important figure in his 
mind or life at this point. But now David comes in and he leaves an impression. In verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. I'm not you, Saul. I can't go as you. I'm going as me. Your armor doesn't fit me. Your, your life doesn't fit me. I have to go with who I am. And that's always the case with us. A lot of times we try and put on someone else, and God is always calling us to, to be genuine. You can learn so many things from other people. I know there's many times where I've you know, tried to emulate certain people, and I just never do it well. You know, especially people who are really good at what they do. It's like, oh, I'm just not there. And so God says, don't worry. You don't have to be there. Just be here. And I always find that someone else's clothes don't fit me. Sometimes my own clothes don't fit me. It depends. But what what's happening is David is just, no, I can't go. This This isn't, I'm not used to this. Meanwhile, verse 41 the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. If a nine-foot person said that to me, I'm not sure what I would do. Just being honest here. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you. In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. One of the most inspiring speeches, this is the Braveheart moment, you know. Freedom! I mean, this is just incredible, and what's incredible about this is what we are seeing is leadership. What we are seeing is a man who has such belief in God that it affects what he does. And why David is so courageous in approaching this nine-foot-plus monster is not because he isn't intimidated by his stature and all those things. It's that he doesn't see himself. He sees 
God in spite of himself. It's often said that courage isn't the lack of fear, it's the lack of self. David was not worried about himself because he had such confidence in God that that didn't occur to him. And that's an important thing. We need to recognize that that's what leaders are about. What they do is they stir up the voice of God within us because we see it being displayed within them. Every time I read these words, it wells up within me and I start thinking of, oh my gosh, yes, that's true. And to have this picture of this boy, just older than a boy, going up to this monster of a man and shouting out with this confidence in his God. You come out with this, you're no match for me. Why? Because there really is a God. And he really is alive. And I don't have to be afraid. And what an example that is. You know, Saul tried to lead people by asserting himself as king. And he would tell others what to do. We saw that even Samuel was afraid of Saul last time. But David stepped right into the middle with others and led by what he did. He led by exemplifying what they too could do. If this little boy could do this, can't we? If he has such faith in God, shouldn't we? And imagine what's taking place in the hearts of all these people. I mean, we get stirred just hearing these things. Imagine seeing and being a part of this at that time. What are you seeing? You're seeing the, this is a leader is being born. Yeah, I'll follow this guy. Why? Because look who he is. He's someone who actually believes this. And so now we're willing to step into this place of understanding because, well, you're stepping into this place. That's what we need. That's what we want. And that's what's taking place. In verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. That just, he ran towards the guy. That's got it. Oh man, like gets me going. He started running at the guy. You know, when Goliath starts, goom, goom, you know, think of that Jurassic Park where the water, you know, <laughs> here comes Goliath stepping towards. And then David, instead of like, oh no, what do I do? He starts running at him. It's like, oh my gosh. And I wonder what's going on in Goliath's head here. It's like, he's running at me. That never happened before. But he starts running at him, reaching, verse 49, into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. 
That was quick. This this is if this was a pay per view, you'd want your money back, right? You know, it's like what? That's it? The first round, first punch, it's over. He had four more stones. Nope, only took the one. Fell down, face down on the ground. Verse fifty. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran, stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel, then the men of Israel, and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camps. Then something happened. Then there was the change. When one man, one boy, did something, it gave the entire army the courage to do something. Do you see what a a powerful example that is for us? That if we would have faith to be able to step into situations and do something in spite of the opposition. You see, it's not important whether everything's going right, but that you're doing what's right. And if you're going to lead people in the way of God, then you must prepare yourself for the spiritual warfare that's ahead because there's going to be the testings. You're going to get fatigued and tired. You're going to want to quit. And there is going to be obstacles after obstacles. What do you do? Who are you? What do you believe? Show me now. Don't tell me about it. Show it to me when it's really necessary. Because if you will do that, then I will follow you. Because you believe and you're proof of God. But Saul, he just went and did nothing. Forty days, not sure what to do. This is a little frightening, not sure what to do. But when one person believed and did something on that belief, the armies followed and it changed and it turned and it won the battle just because of what he did. You see, if our motivation is the approval of men, which is what Saul's was, or are being measured as successful in the world, then this isn't the life for you. But if you can live and die on the knowledge that you have given your life for something that is purposeful to God, then you can move to the next step in the process in the spiritual reformation. Unless you're willing to give your life for this, then you're not ready to lead. And that's what we're called to. And you see, there was a time when this wasn't 
thought of as, you know, well, you know, this is heavy. This is this is difficult things. God's calling some people. No, there was a time when this was called Christianity. This is what Christianity was, because if you would step into this, the odds are you could die. I remember at a leadership conference at Mosaic in Hollywood, Irwin was talking about they were doing baptisms there, and they, they stream them live on Sunday night. They have the live stream at mosaic.org. And one of the girls who was being baptized was converted from uh, Islam, was a Muslim, and her dad was pretty well known in high-ranking uh, Muslim arena. And they turned off the cameras for her safety because she was going to be baptized. But you see, when she stepped into that water to be baptized, she knew what she was doing. She knew that she has now entered into this place where she could be actually harmed and put to death for her belief. And she was willing to do that. Do you know what that says to all those people watching her take that step of faith? It makes them say, oh my gosh, something real is taking place right here. And it's faith like that that was the norm when the church was born. And now we think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we're, we're so sheltered from these things. But if you can live and die in the knowledge that you're serving God, then you're moving forward in this area and you can then begin to lead others. This is what we need to understand. You know, David, by taking a position of leadership, was also exposing Saul's lack of it. And many times that's what happens. And we're going to see that is exactly what happened later on. Because he stood up, he saw in comparison that Saul did, and everyone saw that. So verse 54, I'm going to finish here. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. I'm going to keep these souvenirs. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistines, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Look what I got. It's like, a, you know, throw a tennis ball and your dog goes and brings it back. David's holding on to this head. I mean, this is a gruesome picture. It's kind of cool. Uh, Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. And so here is an incredible story, not only of faith, but this is where leadership begins. It begins with a belief that is unshaken. It begins with a trusting in God for what is difficult in front of you. And it's not a matter of whether things go well or not. It's a matter of what I believe is the right thing to do. And I'm going to move forward in spite of that. And I'm going to leave the consequences in God's hands, but I cannot shrink back from doing what he wants me to do. 
I cannot shrink back from doing the right things that are in front of me, no matter how difficult they might seem. I need to have that kind of confidence in God that I am able to move forward in spite of the Goliath that faces me. And so we need to be able to take that, apply it to our own lives, and and so that other people can see what God does in a person who really believes. Because if you take this posture, you will have no problem getting people to listen to you or to follow after you just because of who you are. Any thoughts on this story? Hopefully it's not a children's story anyway. This isn't for your kids anymore. Or just your kids. You can still still for them, but this isn't about vegetables. Any thoughts? Come on, this is a powerful passage. Something's jumped out at you guys. Yeah, we definitely don't see him doing anything. So faith is active. It's not passive. Nada. Okay, let's pray. Lord, when I read this passage and think of David being a man after your own heart, this is what I see. A person who has no regard for his own life because his trust in you is so strong that nothing else matters. And Lord, may we take this example and put it into practice in our homes. Lord, maybe we're passive in our homes and in leading our families or being an example to our fam- families. Maybe we're, we're passive and it's not that we're doing anything wrong. We're just not doing anything. And we think it's okay, but what could we do? Lord, how could we step forward and move into the line of battle and take on the responsibilities that would cause us to grow? And Lord, may we take on this identity of a leader. Lord, David didn't tell anyone to follow him, but everyone did. We don't need to tell people to follow us. We just need to follow you. And by doing that, Lord, we will lead people to you. And I pray we would do just that. In Jesus' name, amen.